The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. There we go. Good guys. We appreciate them. Matt's a part of our body. The other folks are dear friends of his that he led worship together with in the past. Uh, Mark Rojas is actually in New York City where uh, the church that uh, Stephen and the O'Neills and the Coles are planting is having their first worship preview this morning, and they'll be launching uh, towards the end of September. So it's their first Sunday morning together. Mark's leading worship, and they're there. So we'll pray for them in a minute. Also, Brandon Singh is a young man in our body. Brandon is a son of Tommy and Michelle Singh. Many of you know them. Uh, he received a liver transplant uh, two days ago. And uh, to God's glory, he's doing well. Uh, nine, I think he's an 11-year-old young man, so you keep praying for him and his recuperation. If you are new to TBC, we welcome you. We're delighted to have you with us. Uh, last hour, we were crushed with folks. We had folks in the foyer, and so as the summer has gone on, God has brought us new folks, and we're grateful for you. Uh, there's a visitor center out in the hallway uh, or out in the conference room to your right when you exit. We'd love for you to stop in there just for a minute and find out about us. Ladies, uh, we have about 1,100 seats in here. Uh, All but 73 of those are taken for Fresh Grounded Faith, which will be here in October. So there are a handful of tickets left. If you desire to get one of those, uh, they'll be for sale in the hallways following this service. And uh, to God's glory, uh, Backpack Buddies and Project Angel Tree, uh, they approached us, could we handle more folks this year than we have in the past? So by God's grace, over the last two weeks, you have brought in 338 backpacks, about $1,000 in donations. So kids in BISD, TISD, and Academy ISD will receive backpacks and school supplies that they could not afford. So to God be the glory. Let's thank him for his generosity through his thanks. And then finally, one of the other things we do monthly is the drop. The drop is uh, you put groceries on the back of your car on the trunk, and uh, our youth will pick them up next week, and we'll deliver those to Churches Touching Lives for Christ, where we supply groceries, I'm told, for one week out of the month for many, many families. So if you have your Bibles, uh, would you open them with me to Genesis chapter 3? And if you have the outline you received when you came in, it'll walk you through the different places in God's Word where we will be together. So Genesis three twenty-two, then Exodus 12, Hosea 3, and then Hebrews chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for our Savior. We've sung about Him this morning in worship, and now we ask you, Spirit of God, to teach us through your Word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our Redeemer that we'll look at this morning. Father, we intercede for Brandon Singh. Thank you for a successful liver transplant. We recognize that it's only by your grace and through the hands of skilled people that those things are accomplished. We pray for its continued healing. Right now, Father, as our dear friends meet in New York City to launch a new church, would you bless them this day? God, as they are wrapping up a service even now, would you allow that to be something that brings you great glory and many in that city will be impacted for Jesus. Father, the nations are gathering now. Would you touch hearts and lives this day and let many see Jesus as Redeemer? And would you join us here this day and let us see clearly what your word says? We ask it in your name. Amen. I not only enjoy preaching, but actually I enjoy studying about preaching. I enjoy listening to good preachers. Uh, when you say about preaching, it's called homiletics. That's the art and science of preaching. And I study it regularly, try and read a book on it every year, and uh, listen to men who are great expositors of the Word. Some of you are thinking, Gary, you need to keep studying. You still have a long way to go. I agree with you. We're working on it. And so in preaching, there are two types of sermons. You say, yeah, we know that, good and bad. That's not what I'm talking about. 
We're talking about inductive and deductive sermons. So let me give you a lesson on preaching, if you will. An inductive message is a message where you actually give the points throughout the message and then do the big reveal of the big idea at the end. That's typically the way that I and the other men who are in the pulpit do it. So we take you into the Word and we look at various points and then we do a big reveal. We give you a big idea at the end of the message. Today we're going to do what's called a deductive sermon. A deductive sermon. Basically what that means is I'm going to present to you the idea at the beginning of the message. I've already done it in my prayer, and then I'm going to try and support it throughout the message. So you saw this happening in the Republican and Democratic National Conventions the last two weeks. They gave you the big idea right up front. In the Republican convention, they said Hillary stinks, she's rotten, and she's bad. And then in the Democratic, that Trump is rotten, he's bad, he stinks. And then they supported it for the next uh, 100 days after that. So that was deductive. They gave you their plat- they gave you what their position was, and then they came and they supported it throughout the entire convention. So it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, that's exactly what they use, the method they use. Deductive reasoning is state your case up front and support it. And you're thinking, where has Pastor Gary gone with this this morning? I'm wondering the same thing. Now, the reason for discussing it this morning is because we're going to have a deductive sermon. I'm going to state the point right up front, then you can fall, fall asleep and take your nap, or you can pull out your phones and pretend you're looking at the Bible app and try and get the gym, that's Pokemon Go, in the parking lot out here. I had six messages this morning after I said that saying, I've already captured the gym, you don't have to worry about it. I don't even know what that means, but the gym is captured. Here's the big reveal. You ready? Jesus is our Redeemer. There it is. Now you can take your nap or play your games. Jesus is our Redeemer. So my job is to support that. My job is to show you deductively how we found that. Where do we find that in the scriptures? How do we get there? Well, this story begins in Genesis chapter 3. It begins with the need for Redeemer or the plan for Redeemer. You're familiar with the passage. You're familiar with the story. We've looked at it, it seems like, a hundred times in the years past. We'll look at it one more time because it's significant. The whole story of creation, or the whole story of God's word from Genesis to Revelation is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So creation takes place in Genesis 1. After that, we encounter the fall. So when God creates the world, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good when he looks at mankind. And so everything is fine. Adam and Eve have a perfect home. They have this daily salad bar free of charge that they can enjoy. Every fruit and veggie in the whole world that they can have, gluten-free diet, everything you need is there, and they're enjoying it quite freely. They can indulge in everything except for one. God says you can have everything in the garden except you cannot eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, if we were to walk in our nursery right now where we have a bunch of kids and we would tell them, you can play with all these toys over here, but this one toy over here you cannot touch, what would those kids do? You know what they would do because some of you worked in the nursery and if you have kids, you know exactly what they would do. They would look at all these toys over here and decide that's the one that they want. Our forefathers, Adam and Eve, did the exact same thing. So God says, you can eat from all that's out here, everything that you want, but you can't touch this one tree. I told you I've been dieting. I'm down to a ton right now. Actually, I'm 200 pounds. And as a result of that, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to sprout feathers or, or, or flap off with wings because of the chicken or maybe grow, grow gills because of the fish. But last week we had a house guest. Uh, one of Bev's good friends came in for the book signing thing. And uh, she decided before she went back home, she wanted to try bluebell ice cream. So I go to the store, I do the grocery shop, and I buy Rocky Road Bluebell ice cream, stick it in my freezer, 
And uh, that night they decide they want a bowl of Bluebell ice cream. Well, I'm on this diet and I decide I can't have that. So I literally dished out four bowls of Bluebell ice cream, didn't even take a bite off of the spoon. And then everybody went to bed. Sometimes things loom larger when you say you can have all that, but you can't have that one thing. Anyway, the the slithering serpent comes into the garden, and you're familiar with the story of what happens next. He whispers in to the uh, ear of Eve, and she partakes of the forbidden fruit, and she has her husband there, and he eats of the forbidden fruit. And what happened next is that the Richter scale of life came crashing down, and it registered forever. Because at that point in time, at that moment, the temptation was greater than she could stand. He indulged as well. He willingly joined in, and the hopes and dreams of humanity were shattered into a thousand pieces. And the result of that is they became a lonely, bewildered, confused couple. Because for the first time in life, in, in, in their life, and the first time on our planet, there was guilt, and there was shame, and there was sin. Up until now, there was no sin, there was no guilt, there was no shame. But when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, the result of that was they fell. And when they fell in the sin, they were covered with guilt, they were covered with shame, they were covered with sin. The brilliant noonday sun and all of its warmth and illumination had just set in their lives. In its place rose guilt and shame and sin, this cold, dark, impenetrable separation from God. For the first time in their life, they realized that they were naked. Up until this time, they had no idea that was the truth. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves a covering. There's a little boy who had heard this story about Adam and Eve and the fig leaves. And a couple of weeks later, he opened the big family Bible that was sitting there. And when he opened it, he picked it up. And his mother had pressed some leaves in there. And this big old leaf fell down. And he picked it up and said, Mom, look what I found. He said, what do you have, dear? He said, I found Adam's suit in your Bible. God's enemy had achieved his greatest victory. Man and God were separated. Adam and Eve could only hear the pounding of their hearts as God asked them, where are you? God says, where are you? And you remember what they did. They hid from God. And we've asked this question a hundred times. Two people on the whole planet, the supreme God of the universe in communion with them, God asked the question, where are you? Who's going to win that battle? They can't hide from God. We can't. They can't. And so they sin, and when they sin, they, their sin, is, sin nature is revealed to them at that point in time, and God's enemies achieve this great victory. And the problem is, when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam sinned, we sinned. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world uh, through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. See, because we were in Adam, when he fell, we fell. There are two views of the transmission of sin throughout human history. One is a seminal view. We were in the seed, the semen of Adam, and therefore, because he sinned, we sinned, or Adam was our federal representative. That is, he was ahead. He represented all of us. When he fell, we fell. So some of you are saying, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. I remind you, football season's about to start. If you need to be reminded of that, it's actually 33 days away until LSU kicks off against Wisconsin at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, that's going to happen. And when that happens, if one of our offensive linemen jumps off sides, he is not punished alone. The team is punished. That's unfair. You don't see the offensive lineman walking back five steps because he jumped off sides and everybody will stay at the line of scrimmage, do you? 
There are times you wish that could happen, but that's not what happens. Everybody is punished because a team has failed. When Adam fell, we fell because we were in Adam. We were part of that team, so to speak, to carry that analogy out. So when that happened, we recognized that we too became those who were in Adam. And ever since then, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those precious little ones in the nursery, my precious grandbabies, all of them were born with a sin nature, except our granddaughter. (laughs) Her too. Five grandsons, one granddaughter. Um, But that's what's happened. When Adam fell, we fell. We have to teach our kids how to sin. We've talked about that a hundred times. But here's the great news. God had a plan. God had a plan. So Gary, how do you know that? I know it from two verses in Genesis chapter 3. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, if you look at verse 15, it's called the proto-uagelion. Proto means first, uagelion, good news. The first good news. God is issuing curses. He curses the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. That's a death blow. And you shall bruise him on the heel. That, that's, that's a strike, but you still live. And it's pointing ahead to the one who would ultimately deal the death blow to Satan and the one who would experience the bruise on the heel. And that would ultimately be the one who is the redeemer. So God had a plan. Adam and Eve fell. God had a plan that one day one would come who would be able to rescue them. And if you look at verse 21, God specifically provides for Adam and Eve. In verse 21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and God clothed them. So when you look at that particular verse, there are two things to point out. Number one, God clothed them with skin. To get skin, you had to kill something. It's the first time death occurs in the scriptures. There's been spiritual death, the death of Adam and Eve. It's the first time there's physical death in the scriptures. An animal is killed so the skin can be taken. And God covers Adam and Eve so that they will not be walking in shame and guilt. The second thing to note is that's a foreshadowing of things to come. Adam and Eve were physically covered, but one day the one who would strike the serpent on the head, the one who would be the redeemer, one day he would cover us, not just with a a skin covering, but he would cover us in robes of righteousness. One day he would offer himself, and it's through him, our redeemer, that we will receive a full covering and we will be cleansed. And so God had a plan. All the way back in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, God had a plan. The plan is hinted at. There's a covering for guilt and shame. The blood is spilled and the plan is now in place. It will come full circle eventually. So we jump ahead to Genesis chapter 22 and we read about a redeemer. We read about redemption. We read about something in the place of something else. That's a substitute. In Genesis chapter 22, if you turn ahead in your Bibles, there's a story of Abraham with his son Isaac. Isaac is the promised one. The lineage of the Jewish race will come through Abraham, through Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah were 100 years old and 90 years old when she became pregnant. Now, some of you should faint at this point in time. 90 years old, 100 years old, having a baby. They should be thinking about a nursing home, and now they're thinking about a nursery. And this nursery is going to be painted blue, not because they had sonograms, but because God has given them a promise. The promise is you're going to have a boy, and it's through this boy that we will have a, a race. We'll have the Jewish people, the, the sons of Abraham, if you will. Sons of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you read in the scriptures over and over. And so what happens is God wants to test Abraham. He wants to make sure he is the one worthy of this. And so uh, in Genesis 22.1, it says, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. I love that statement. Uh, Abraham, it's me, God. I'm over here. <laughs> like God didn't know it. 
But Abraham raised his hand and says, it's me, God. And so the next thing you say, it says, I want you to take your son, your only son, circle that in your Bible, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. What? You imagine when Abraham went home to Sarah? Hey, sweetie, I need to talk to you. Isaac, I've got to go kill him. What? God spoke to me. Abe, are you you sure? I mean, what about the promise? Well, they take off. If you do the math, Isaac is at least in his teens now. Abraham had a hundred, so... Abraham is 100 teen, whatever that is. 115, 16, 18, 20, somewhere like that, maybe even 20s. Let's say 100 teens. I, I mean, that's old. Would you agree with me? I mean, if you're 100 teens, some of you, I, there's nobody here in their 100, some of you look like you're, no, no not really. <laughs> but I mean, he's an old man. Isaac's a teenager. He takes his son and says, son, we're going to go, we're going to offer sacrifice. But I want you to note the faith of Abraham in verse 5. Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go up and we will worship God and we will return to you. Do you see the faith of Abraham? He thinks he's gone to offer his son, but what he says is, my son and I are coming back. My son and I are coming back. He's willing to offer a son. I mean, there's a hint here that Abraham believed in the resurrection that Abraham believed this was going to happen. And so they start climbing the mountain. As they climb the mountain, uh, they get halfway up, and Isaac in verse 7 says, Dad, we've got a problem. He says, we've got fire, we've got wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham responds and says, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's what those two words mean in Hebrew. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Son, let's keep walking. Let's go to the top of the mountain. So the two of them walk together, verse 8. And as they go to the top, Abraham builds an altar. He arranges the wood. He binds his son Isaac and lays him on the altar. Now, don't miss, that. Don't miss the, the obvious here. He binds his son Isaac. Abraham, let's say, is 115 and Isaac is 15 or 120 and 20. I, 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 I've never run track. You can look at this body and tell I've never been a track star. But I, I, and I don't know much about track, but I can tell you this. A 20-year-old can outrun a 120-year-old. There's also the faith of Isaac here. And so Isaac allows himself to be bound up by his father, to be offered as a sacrifice. And in that moment, the father takes out his knife. He's getting ready to thrust his knife into the heart of his son. And God says, stop. Stop, Alta, Alta. You don't have to do it, Abraham. I see your faith is a true faith that fears me. Abraham. And he says again, here I am, verse 11. Don't stretch out your hand, do nothing to him. For I know now that you fear me since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham raised his eyes. And in fact, I've got this verse up on the screen. Then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered him for burnt offering. If you look in your Bibles, it should say in the place of his son. That's a substitute, a substitute. We would offer him instead of you. Redemption has taken place for Isaac and this ram would die. And Abraham 
call the name of that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. So in the nation of Israel, they've got this story in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, and so they could read the Old Testament and they would see that the Lord is a God who provides. He's made a promise back in Genesis 3 that he has a plan that he's going to send someone one day who would eventually take away and, 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 and bruise the head of the serpent. And so one day that's going to happen. One day there'll be a redeemer. One day there'll be one who'll conquer sin and death. And now it says and through Abraham, we can see that he provides that redeemer. So we fast forward uh, to Exodus chapter 12. You're familiar with the plagues and the final plague being Passover. The nation of Israel has been in bondage for 400 years under Egyptian rule. The, 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 the freedom from that occurs through the final plague, which is called Passover. It occurs because they have begged God to do something. Look at this verse up here, Exodus 6, 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also, what? What's the word say? Read it with me. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. The Hebrew word, as well as the Greek word, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, the Hebrew and the Greek word both means to buy out of, to purchase out of. God says, I'm going to purchase you out of bondage. Not only that, not only will I provide for you, but I'm going to protect you through this redemption and the protection is from death. You see, what's going to happen is the death angel is going to come over in the final plague and the firstborn and every house will be slain unless the blood of the sacrificed lamb is applied to the lintels and the doorpost. So the 10 plagues to free the nation of Israel, God hears them. He says, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to deliver you from bondage. The way it's going to happen, the final plague is going to pass over. It's described this way. Moses called all the elders of Egypt, of Israel, said to them, go take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, apply some of the blood that's in the basin to the lintel and the two doorpost and none of you shall go outside the door of his house till morning for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood of the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over. That's where we get the word pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house and smite you referring to the oldest ones. I'm the eldest person in my family. I've got two younger sisters. I guarantee if I was alive during this time, Passover, I would have made sure my dad killed the lamb and I would be out there smearing extra blood on the doorposts and the lintels to make sure that my life would be spared. And God says there's protection from death. When the blood of the lamb is applied to your life, there's protection from death. So God had a plan in Genesis chapter 3. God had a provision for Isaac through a ram that was caught by Abraham. God says, I'm going to provide for you a redeemer. It's a, it's a lamb. And, and so it's quite interesting that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming up to be baptized, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So they would unmistakably associate that with Passover. They would know that. When Jesus is coming up, behold, the Lamb of God, they would recognize this is the Passover land. In fact, Paul, the trained Pharisee, the one who was the Jew above all Jews, would say this in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed, therefore let's join the feast. See, he recognized that Christ was the ultimate Passover lamb. He calls him our Passover. You see, when the blood of the lamb is applied to your life, you are protected from death. And so God had a plan in Genesis 3. He had a provision for Isaac in Genesis 22. And in Exodus chapter 12, we see he protects us from death. 
there's protection when the blood of the lamb is applied to the doorpost of one's heart. Then we go to the book of Hosea, one of my favorite books in the whole Old Testament. You're familiar with the story. Gomer is Hosea's wife. She becomes a harlot. She's a picture of the nation of Israel playing the harlot against God. She she becomes a prophetess of Baal, many think, or a, a harlot of Baal. And what happens there is in in Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, it says, So I, meaning Hosea the prophet, bought her, referring to Gomer, his wife, for myself, for 15 shekels of silver and a homer half of barley. She was in slavery. She was in bondage. He redeemed her. He bought her out. That's what the word bought is, same word that's used there in the Hebrew text. I bought her. I redeemed her. You redeemed someone from the slave block. He went and redeemed his wife from the slave block or from the, from, the, from, the, from, the, from the bondage of slavery. And we look at that and say, we too are slaves, slaves to sin. We need to be redeemed. It's a picture of our redemption. And so what we see is God had a plan in Genesis 3. He provided in Genesis 22. He protected us from death, or a picture of protection and death. And now a picture of being freed from the bondage of slavery, and we were in slavery to sin. So it leads us to the New Testament. Everything points ahead to a Redeemer. Who is that Redeemer? The true Redeemer is Christ. He himself said this in Mark 10.45, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. A ransom is paying the price for someone to be freed. He paid the price of ransom for many. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the very word redemption is used there. In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption takes place through the blood of the Redeemer. So here's what we can conclude. We can look in the scriptures and say we are redeemed from our sins by Christ to freedom. We are redeemed from our sins See, there's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. There's nothing we can do. You can attend every worship service that's ever offered in every church on the globe. You can do numerous good works. You can try and earn your way to heaven. But the reality of it is because we were in Adam and we sinned, the result of that sin is we cannot live perfect lives. Therefore, we need someone to step in and be our redeemer. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, it's listed on the outline. It talks about he was our perfect high priest who sacrificed himself. So he's a priest who offers a sacrifice, and the sacrifice is himself. You know, my friends, in creation, we see the hand of God. In redemption, we see the heart of God. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. Three applications, and I'll close. Application number one, the price of your redemption has been paid. Knowing that's not enough, have you accepted the one who paid that price as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins? I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that in a few moments when we sing. At the end of first hour, we had three new brothers and sisters birthed into our family. We had uh, two ladies and a gentleman who came down. And I'm going to challenge you at the end, if you don't know if you've been redeemed, to make a public stand before the body of Christ today and to make that statement. The price has been paid for your redemption. It's not enough to know it. Knowing about Jesus is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. The price has been paid. Have you personally accepted Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? 
In his blood there is redemption. Second application. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is, 6, Paul is writing, he says, You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You see, we, sometimes as pastors, we get the cart before the horse. We call you to moralism, and I hate that. Sometimes we tell you to be good, be good, be good. That's not what we're about. We're about glorifying God because of what he's done for us. And so why do you live a life of purity? Why do you live a life of obedience? Why do you live a life of honoring your husband, honoring your wife? Why do you give money to the body of Christ? Why do you give to backpack? Why do you do these things? Hopefully it's because you recognize I've been bought with the price because I've been redeemed. I desire to glorify God in everything that I do. That's why. So application number one, if you don't know the Redeemer, you know about redemption, but don't know the Redeemer, I pray you'll trust him as your Savior today. Number two, we should live holy lives glorifying God because of what the Redeemer has done for us. Amen? He has paid the price. How could I do it? Application number three, if you hold the keys to free somebody from bondage, how could you not give them the key? You see, we're released from the bondage of sin by Jesus. And he says, I'm going to give you the key so that you can pass it on to your neighbors and to your family and to your friends and to your kids, to your spouses. And you can tell them about the Redeemer. And so I ask you, when's the last time you told somebody about the Redeemer? People are held in bondage and you can say, I know the way out. And it's not through me, it's not through my church, it's through my Savior. Jesus is our Redeemer. So, there's a great video, Skit Guys are one of my favorite groups. It's a video I've showed once before. And I believe it ties all this together, the price being paid, our freedom that comes with that. Watch this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? Got them in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I want to play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like going, caw, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I feed them to my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. i tell you what. I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah, let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. We're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. Five dollars. All right. Ten dollars. Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got.
see you looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is, they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So what's your plans with them? I'm gonna play games with them. Games? What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm gonna put games into their life that they think is gonna bring them so much pleasure that I'm gonna turn the world upside down. I'm gonna make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for all eternity. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So, I'm going to pay for their freedom. You want these humans? Yeah. You know they've promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. This reminds us about what Jesus did for us on the cross. He picked up that wooden cross and carried it to Mount Calvary because he loved you and me. Some of you are held captive in that cage right now. You can be free this morning. You can be freed. At the end of each service uh, this summer, we're bringing up a TBC or in would you welcome my friend David Kessel on the stage with me this morning? David is going to share with us. David's going to share with us a story of redemption and a story of hope. Good morning. What's a better start than last hour? I actually turned the mic on correctly, so that's good. Uh, as Gary said, my name is David Kessler, and I've been asked to uh, share my story with you. Um, and uh, there's several parts of my testimony that I could share with you today. There's um, my salvation story as a young child coming to, to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Uh, there's um, meeting a young lady across the country at a college uh, that I had been led to go to, and she eventually became my wife, Anna. I could talk to you about struggles that we had, uh, struggles particularly with infertility um, and the path that uh, God set us down. And uh, it's a glorious story because now we have two wonderful children, and uh, it's up to... uh, it's all due to God's blessing. I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, God is truly good. Amen. But today I was asked to uh, share a different story with you. It's one I'm certainly connected to, but it's uh, not my story. It's actually my dad's story. And uh, I probably need to pause here and ask you to, to pray for me a little bit and uh, be a little patient with me. Sometimes I can make it through this story. Uh, other times I can't. Gary's assured me that he's backing me up if, uh, if I can't, 
but the reason I want to share this story with you today is um, because about five years ago, um, about four months before my father's 92nd birthday, he passed away. His, uh, his name is Harry Kessler, and he had six siblings in his family. His, uh, his parents were actually uh, immigrants from Russia. They um, escaped under persecution and uh, fled and stowed away on some ships to get to, uh, to the east coast of the United States where they started their family. Um, they were of a Jewish background, of course, and so that's what my dad identified and knew. And he was a very caring and uh, gentle man, uh, took care of his parents as they aged. In fact, um, as um, he needed to move from the East Coast to the West Coast out to California, he packed them up and took them with him. And uh, eventually um, they did pass away, and he felt like It was his time to move back uh, to the East Coast of Florida, where he met my mom. Um, And uh, then a few years later, um, I came around, and then about four years after that, my sister. So I mentioned to you uh, a few minutes ago when I started that um, I accepted Christ uh, at a very young age. And uh, part of the reason reason I can share that with you today is... Um, my father allowed um, my mom really to raise my sister and I in a Christian home. Uh, so we got to go to a Baptist church and participate in um, youth groups and church activities. And he even used his hard-earned dollars to pay for us to go to Christian schools. And uh, now with a couple kids of my own, I, I uh, realize how remarkable uh, that was considering his Jewish upbringing. So I wanted to give that background to to really illustrate um, what a kind, loving, generous father uh, he was. Um, But in all that um, wonderful characteristics, he he was also lost spiritually. He didn't know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And I remember as a child um, praying for my dad's salvation um, on many, many occasions. Uh, In fact, I... I received a letter from my mom um, about four or five years ago, and uh, apparently I'd written it about the age of 10, and my mom kept it for all these years, and she's a school teacher, so it has a bunch of corrections and markings all over it. Um, But the great thing about it is it it really recounts um, a number of things in my life at that time, one being my salvation story, Another being the first time um, I led someone to Christ. And then my um, personal prayer for my dad's salvation. So I know even as a young child, uh, through adolescence and into adulthood, I, um, I continue to pray for my dad's salvation. My, my parents actually moved from Florida to North Carolina when I went off to college, and um, then in around 1997, they moved from North Carolina to uh, Belton, Texas. Uh, they uh, were, my mom was looking for a place to go to church, and it just so happens that was about the time that my wife and I were starting to come to TBC, and so we all started going here, and to my shocking surprise, my dad started attending um, and answered a prayer. I was um, just so thankful for that. 
um, the, uh, the problem was um, he still didn't have a changed heart. But he was coming to church. After about 10 years of attending here, um, there was a change of heart. The, uh, the problem was it, it wasn't his spiritual heart, it was his physical heart. Um, he had a, a minor stroke or heart issue um, in 2007, and so he was hospitalized, and I remember um, being there in his hospital room, and our family doctor came from the local clinic to check on him, and uh, at that time, the doctor leaned over and uh, said, Harry, would you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal savior? He said yes. <clears throat> Sorry. So, Right then, I knew that I was a part of Dad's salvation story. I knew that um, his life had changed. <clears throat> this is the same Dad that for so many years, my mom, my sister and I, and so many people from other churches in this church had prayed for him, now a Christian. Um, his salvation occurred just a few months uh, before his 88th birthday. And he lived as a Christian for another four years before the Lord took him home. So, I'm going to make it through this one. <clears throat> um, so really, it's my, it's my prayer today that this story um, brings you hope. It um, shows the, the power of prayer. And, uh, of course, God's unwavering desire to make us his children. So thank you so much for allowing me to share his story with you today. Thank you, Dad. You know, for years, Harry sat right over there and uh, with his wife. And uh, to see that change take place in his heart after all those years. Some of you have given up on folks. It may be your spouse sitting with you right here. It may be a mom or a dad. It may be a brother or sister. And you're thinking, it will never happen. I hope Harry's story, the story that David shared about his dad, brings you hope. Anybody can be redeemed. So I'm going to ask some of you to do a bold thing this morning. If you're here today and you know about redemption, but you have never personally trusted Christ as your Savior, we're going to stand in a moment and sing a song. I'm going to ask you to come down here and publicly proclaim with me. Make sure that that's true in your life. And so we're going to stand, we're going to sing a song, and if... You're not sure if Christ is your Savior. You know the story of redemption, not trusted Him. You come down here and let's seal the deal, so to speak. Let's make sure you don't leave this place without accepting the one as your Savior who's provided for you.